Tell your story, build your brand. ArtMediaNorthwest.com. A-R-T-M-E-D-I-A-N-W.com. Now enjoy this conversation with Chris Nesselroad. Chris, thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So can you describe your childhood, what it was like, and maybe one or two stories from back in the day? From back in the day? Yeah. Well, we can start off by saying you knew me as a child at some level. <laughs> at some level. Early childhood was was interesting. Uh, literally grew up next to the train tracks. and. Um, was it the right side of the tracks? Or the it was side the, the other side of the tracks. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't call it the wrong side, but it was the other the side other of the side. tracks. Okay. Um, you know, we used to have rock fights and play in the ditches and stuff. Um, and so there's, there's numerous stories of, of wrongdoings as a child. Um, but from that, you glean where you don't want to end up. So I kind of took that as motivation of saying like, Hey, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna end up here. I'm not gonna, you know, be an adult living in this shitty apartment complex so on the other um, side of the tracks on the other side of the tracks there was the other side of the tracks although it was a boys home so maybe we were on the other side the I right side know. of the tracks yeah, it's hard, hard to say. say depends on the boys i guess yeah all right at psu you were studying architecture how did you get from there to your current business so i, I studied architecture while i was actually working in an architecture firm um and i elongated my education uh, just financially, um, didn't want to do financial aid as little as possible. So I was going through just taking a class a term and paying it as I went until somebody, uh, an advisor or something told me, you know, you have a seven year window to complete within a curriculum or else there's classes that you didn't take or that you have to, to redo. So I quickly hurried up, did uh, financial aid and did the last three years while I was working in an architecture firm. I graduated in... I started at uh, in college in '97 and graduated in 2008. Um, so you know, again, it was the it was the long road. And as you may or may not know, in 2008, right, we had the recession, which hit uh, architecture industry. There was in the Portland area, it was a I think they said it was a a 50 percent unemployment rate in architecture firms in wow. 2008 2009 after the after the hit. So I was fortunate enough to be working in a firm, uh, albeit the firm I was working at was specialized in infill housing and housing development, and that sort of tanked. And I had a uh, history with uh, disaster restoration, having worked um, in disaster restoration. You and I worked together in, yeah. in that field. And... Um, and so I kind of hit on those uh, individuals that I knew and um, started to seek other forms of work outside of the, the you know, houses and townhouses that we were doing. And um, uh, over the course of about a year to two years, just in marketing, I was a, a lowly uh, drafts person, project manager at, at this firm, and I was bringing in more projects than the principals. And... At that point, I realized, hey, I got something here, and so I, I made my way out and and um, started this company on a wing and a prayer, and it just you know over time, just a lot of a lot of marketing, a lot of 
phone calls to people and just building it up. And I think this month will be um, seven years. Nice. So, yeah. so your company's Property Damage Solutions? Yes. Yes. And then can you tell us a little bit about what your role is and what your company provides, what services? So the, what our goal is, or what, what I say, like to say that we do, is we assess damage uh, from major, major or minor events from that matter, whether it's uh, a tree, tree strike, uh, vehicular damage to a building, and all, all these are related to structures. We just did an investigation on snow load damage, uh, fire damage, wind damage. And so what we do is we'll go in and we investigate what the damage is, what needs to get done, come up with a repair plan, and create a set of drawings to uh, repair the house or business back to the way that it was prior to the loss. Or in some cases, people use that opportunity to say, hey, you know, I always you know, wanted to remodel my kitchen or do an addition. And they find that that's the right time to do something of that nature. So, yeah. and, and my role in that is uh, over time, when I first started out, my role was everything. Did the drawings, did the inspections, did the investigations, did the permitting. Um, and as the business has grown, I've been able to parcel that out to different people. And, and my role now is to, to manage it and make sure that everything gets done on time. And I still do a majority of the inspections um, and mostly just um, a client connection, working with the client, making sure their needs are met. Nice. So your clients are primarily insurance adjusters and contractors? Yeah. So... Yeah, in in, um, in the industry, uh, oftentimes when there's a loss as an individual, it's not a repeat customer. So it's not something that, you know, as, a, as an individual has a loss, a tree hits their house, let's say. It's not something that's happened to them before or often, you know, or even a friend of theirs to where they can call them up and say, hey, who did you use when, you, when the tree fell on your house? Right. Um, so a lot of times the first call is to emergency services contractors or uh, let's say it's the fire department comes out and um, uh, secures the building. Uh, they will often uh, contract to an emergency services company to do a free board up and, and maybe take the tree off the, off the house or in, in the case of a fire board up the house and secure it. And... And then from that, a lot of, like I said, then then an insurance agent, insurance adjuster would get involved and come out and take a look and, and write up a scope. And at the same time, a contractor would be doing the same thing. And so um, those would be the two areas that would contact us. It would be either an insurance company contacting us, asking us for a repair plan and, hey, how do we fix this? Or a contractor asking the same question, hey, we need to fix this. Can you help us out? When PDS steps in, it can save people a lot of time, right? Yeah, um, because the process, yeah. The, our process and our goal is to is to move through it quickly. I mean, again, we've been myself as a company have been doing this for seven years, and prior to that, um, just being in the architectural and engineering world, and then prior to that, being in the construction world. I have the ability to see what the damage is and identify what a repair is fairly quickly. And so uh, we have the ability to put a plan together. Um, it, it really just comes down to man hours, how quickly, you know, how many hours in a day can one work. There are times where there's un, you know, unseen damage that um, 
you kind of have to guesstimate at, or you may need um, some time for someone to um, open up a wall or open up a floor to get a better look at, at what's going on to come up with a repair. But in general, you can typically see the extent of the damage and come up with a, a repair plan pretty quickly. And then it's just a matter of executing that plan and then the permit process. Okay. So how does that save time in the process if, if let's say, insurance companies and, and contractors are kind of squabbling about how long and, and how to repair it and PDS steps in? So with with us stepping in in those scenarios, what it does is it it, um, it brings in an unbiased approach, right? So for for the most part, you know the insurance carrier, you know their their role is to is to you know do their client right and to address the claim. But I mean they're also a company who's looking out for you know they're not going to frivolously pay for something. And so they want to make sure that their dollars are well spent and that they're not paying for something that's unneeded. And the general contractor is looking at the role almost uh, not quite in reverse, but but on the other side of the coin, they're they're having to deal with warranty issues of, you know, well, we can't put this in because we have to warrant it. So we're not going to be able to put our name behind something that doesn't um, that's not going to stand. And so there becomes, like you said, this this argument over, you know, well, uh, to what extent do we have to repair this? So bringing in a third party such as such as us, um, we we don't have any skin in the game. Our 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 um, responsibility is to the structure and um, to code to make sure that the structure is built back as required by code and that it's safe for the occupants, whomever they may be, whether it's current occupants or future occupants. So we have the ability to um, to come in with an unbiased approach, come up with an answer, and sort of <clears throat> um, end any sort of um, disruption to the process that may be caused by two parties coming from different sides, right. arguing on whether or not something is or is not covered. So rather than that process taking potentially like six weeks before the permits even go to... Yeah, I mean, in some cases, I, I've got a project right now that, that has been um, three and a half to four years where the insurance carrier and the contractor have been you know arguing over how it, something is to be repaired, and we were brought in to, to mitigate that and put a set of drawings together. And we were able to put the set of drawings together and say, okay, this is exactly what needs to happen. We talked to the jurisdiction and we're able to come up with a repair plan and come up with a fix that everybody was able to agree upon in the matter of, uh, you know, in, in this case it was six months, but which was far <laughs> less time <laughs> than three or four years. Three or four years yeah, so. definitely. I'm going to just move this a little. There you go. All right. Um... So how important, just to shift gears a little, how important is music to your life? Extremely important. Um, I have always, I've always been a fan of music. I've always got you know radio going or something going on in the background. I don't know if it's just to just um, uh, calm my mind so that you know <laughs> so that there's something going on in the background so that I don't you know, you know try to take over the world or something. Um, but it it. It's definitely a um, something that that's 
been a part of my life since since I was little. My my parents didn't really um, listen to music all that much. I know my my dad had a record player and he had a couple of uh, blues albums, but for the most part, you know, my my early childhood music was you know sort of the record stories, you know, the Disney record stories or the Star Wars record stories. You know, there's just a couple of beeps and you turn the next page. Um, and so my, my introduction to music, which may be for, for a lot of people my age is, uh, was Weird Al. And, you know, a friend of mine had a Weird Al tape and you know, I was like, this is, this is hilarious. This is, and then, you know, from that being a child of the late eighties, early nineties, found myself in the, um, in the, you know, the pop listening to, to pop music until um, the Belinda Carlisles and and uh, <laughs> Debbie Gibsons and and those types of things until um, I purchased a car uh, when I was fifteen couldn't drive it yet but I I bought a car it was seven hundred fifty dollars for a, a nineteen seventy one four door gold Chevy Nova and it only had an AM radio and so I was forced to find a station AM radio and came across the station called nine seventy the beat and it was an, at the time in I want to say it was 92. It was uh, considered an alternative rock station. And that's where I first heard, uh, you know, they played, obviously, that, you know, started playing Nirvana and, and uh, Smashing Pumpkins and Pearl Jam. But they also played you know, David Bowie and Talking Heads and so uh, the Ramones. And so getting an introduction to music that I'd never heard before. I didn't know anyone who listened to that type of music. I had a genre of of friends who listened to, like I said, the, the pop hits, and then the other friends that listened to Led Zeppelin and Whitesnake. So right. <laughs> I, I was like, oh, this is a completely different uh, sound, and um, I sort of grabbed onto that and haven't let go. And I love going to concerts. I love having music on whenever I can. Nice. Uh, so what? back to your uh, business, What what is your vision for the future of Property Damage Solutions? That is a good question. I... Um, my goal has been to to expand the business to other other markets. So right now, being in Portland um, metro area, our our major market is Portland Southwest Washington. Um, we've done you know locally, we've done projects as far north as Seattle and as far south um, as Eugene Springfield. And we've, as of 2017, uh, opened an office in Northern California and Bay Area in Santa Rosa. Um, but the, the goal with that was to slowly grow. We wanted to grow the office so that we had representation in Santa Rosa or what we were thinking was San Francisco and Seattle. So we'd have San Francisco, Seattle, Portland, kind of the I-5 corridor. And we were initially going to look at Seattle first just because of the proximity and with anything that we're doing, right, somebody has to be able to, to visit the site, look at the project, and come up with a plan. So, you know, a, a four-hour drive to Seattle or a train ride to Seattle is not as daunting as, you know, as a 10-hour drive to San Francisco or, a, you know, a multiple flights. Uh, but then with the recent fires in, in San Francisco, it, that one ended up coming up first, and so we're still... Um, looking at the best options for growth in Seattle. Uh, but that, that is the goal is to have to place an individual in you know major regions across the country 
and establish establish the office in in multiple areas to, to cover losses as they occur throughout the country. Okay, that's good. How would you describe yourself? I um, I'm a fairly detail oriented person. Don't I'm not detail oriented to where I I can't respect the the fun that that is in life. The job that I do. You know, it, it requires it requires a fair amount of focus and requires a lot of detailed work. I mean, when we're talking about maintaining structures, but I don't let it get the best of me. I you know, I I I love what I do. I like the work that I do. I like my free time. Although as an entrepreneur, your your free time is limited. I think a, a fair amount of my spare time is is growing my business. But in general, I I guess, like I said, I'm, I'm a detail-oriented person when it comes to things that I'm that I'm passionate about. And, and after that, I'm just kind of, whatever happens, happens. You know, just, <laughs> I can't change that. So, so it's a little of each in a way. Yeah, it's a, it's a mix, I suppose. Well, what about your sense of humor? I'm not funny at all. Yeah, that's not true. <clears throat> I'm the most serious person I know. <laughs> I am... And my wife will attest to this, and we've had conversations about it. I am one of the more sarcastic people um, that I know, and I get along really well with other people who are fairly sarcastic, and I just can't help myself. Picking up your sarcasm. Yeah, picking up your sarcasm there. Um, you know, which is just a you know a mask for the my inner child that is scared and lonely. But <laughs> I just I got um, I can't, I just can't help it. I th- it, I find it comical to be sarcastic i get that some people don't get it and uh, it frustrates people because they think that you're being serious <laughs> which and, is even more comical <laughs> right and, and i love the aspect of sarcasm that people think that you're truly serious and and that's what i you know yeah i love about it's it. good stuff yeah yeah it's a sign of intelligence they say so yeah there you go and um, you're not being sarcastic <laughs> that's true not at the moment. Do you have any routines or processes that help you do your best work? I don't really. I'm not. I am. Uh, I am trying to become more routined, um, but I am the the least routine person. I will find a moment here, find a moment there to do work. Um, we were coming, having a conversation earlier today that this morning I woke up and it was four thirty, and I was like, well, well it's four thirty. Might as well get some work done. Um, yesterday I woke up at 8.30 and I looked at the phone. I was like, oh, I just don't want to get up this morning. So it's a mix. You know, I just, I find moments that are inspiring and, and you know, whether it's this time of year, right? You wake up at 4.30 in the morning and the sun is actually out and there's birds chirping and you're like, you know what, I'm, let's go after this day. Um, and some days, you know, you hear the birds chirping, you're like, just shut up. I want to sleep. <laughs> um, so it's, it's all over the board. I don't, you know, maybe if I was more routine, that'd be more productive. But, um, I find these, these times of, of being productive just come when they come. And, and it's, I try and notice those times and, and make the best of them, whether it's getting something done with work or, or, you know, doing something with my kids or my wife or, you know, hey, let's go for a hike. I, you know, I'll just get sort of this uh, stroke of inspiration and sometimes it doesn't pan out well. Like, hey, you know, everybody, let's go for a bike ride. It's like, what do you mean the kids don't have bikes and helmets? So what? Let's just, you know, <laughs> put them on my bike. You know, it's just I get this focus of, hey, let's do this. It sounds like fun. I want to do it. And even if it's not prepared, so no, I, I have no, I just... 
when the mood strikes and then usually somebody says, well, you know, okay. you can't do that now. <laughs> what are some important tips that you could give aspiring artists or business leaders? My grandfather used to say, uh, find something that you like to do, become better at it than anyone else and make money at it and don't tell anyone else how you did it. And then, and that was his, you know, his, his life lesson. And I had read in, uh, it was Project Management of Benjamin Franklin. And he had commented in, you know, in a group that he had established that something very similar, but something almost extremely opposite, where he said, you know, find something that you're passionate about that you love to do, become a leader in that, and... And then, you know, teach others how to do it. And so that you will become, you'll become more of a leader in, in what you're doing if you are teaching others. Because then as somebody gets introduced to somebody else who's doing the work, they'll say, wow, you're really good at this. Where did where'd you learn this from? Oh, I learned it from Chris. He taught me. Well, like, oh. And then through, I think through that, educating other people or helping other people to, to meet their goals, I think it, it builds it builds your expertise. And so I, I would say, you know, for, you know, any aspirations that you have, whether it's, you know, some, uh, some form of art or business or whatever it is, it's just, you know, I, I think don't, don't keep it to yourself, you know, just express what you're trying to do in, in many, as many facets as you possibly can, um, to get yourself out there. It is scary to do. I started this company, literally had like about $400 in the bank. I had a baby. First baby was on the way um, uh, in a couple of months, and I wasn't getting many architectural-related projects, so I went back to doing some construction stuff. And um, I did a project where I, we, I had to dig a ditch to run some piping. And I'm like, yep, I'll do it. 250 bucks, I'll dig that ditch. And you know, keep in mind that I had been working in an architecture firm for the past... 15 years and had not dug a ditch in a long time and then I was I, I met with a client in the lobby of the hospital when my the day after my kid was born I was like well I, I'm at the hospital we can meet in the lobby if you want so I think it's just all hands on deck just go for it you know you, you don't know where you're going to end up so you might as well just figure out the best way to, to keep kind of pushing it is get your name out there and do what you like to do that's that's intense yeah that's a lot Let's of go for it yeah it's good advice if you can if you can manage it i didn't say i managed it <laughs> i just said i did it i'll, I'll let you know later if right it, yeah if it pans out <laughs> well seven years you yeah. know and you've grown a lot right yeah so uh to change gears again you're the biggest smashing pumpkins fan i know why are they better than any other band in your opinion <laughs> Why are they better than any other band, in my opinion? Because you have this extremely sort of, um, for lack of a better term, dysfunctional lead singer who sort of carries this group um, in in a in a way that is that is it's like going going to a a, a circus. And you get to see all these players play their parts, and uh, you know they're they are taking hints from um, classic rock and from um, arena rock, and bringing it and stripping it down and bringing it to 
uh, in, in a in this realm that was grunge, and I think they're you know far more progressive, and they they were able to play this field between arena rock and grunge, and without you know sort of without denying credibility to either, but also not claiming to be part of one of those, you know, just sort of saying, well, you know, we're not arena rock because those guys are, you know, they're arena rock and we don't have the big hair. We're not grunge rock because, you know, those guys just aren't musically talented enough. We're in the middle here. And so, you know, you, they make enemies on both sides and, and that's what I love about them. They're just, you know, I can't think of an interview, a concert, uh, any form of their music where they apologized for who they were. I think they, they went out there and said, you know, this is who we are, like it or not, we're going to play. You know, if you don't like us, you don't like us, boo-hoo, here's our music. And I think, you know, they've changed their styles multiple times, different, trying different things that, you know, people would, you know, compare them to this band or that band, and, um, and I think they just, they kind of just went with it. Yeah. All right. That's a good answer. What mentors did you have along the way that come to mind? Danny Oaks. What? Sure. Why not? Dude, you got to set your sights higher than that. <laughs> Yeah. Kept me out of trouble more times than once. Yeah. Um, that might be true. Th- it is absolutely true. Um, you know, I've been asked this question before in, in different ways. And I don't know that there was anyone, you know, one person that I connected to. And um, I, I looked at it from a different realm. And I, I kind of talked about this earlier is... Um, I knew where I didn't want to be and I knew people who were there. And so I had a lot of inverse mentors of, you know, I'm not going to do that. This is what I don't want to do. Yeah. And I think that was the inspiration of, you know, I don't, I'm not going to go down that road. I mean, I, I just knew a lot of people, you know, family, friends that went a route that I knew I didn't want to go. And so I, I, it didn't necessarily, you know, close ties with them or anything. I just kind of set my sights and just said, you know, for for better or worse, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to finish college. I'm going to, you know, this is what I want to do. You know, I want to do some form of architecture, design buildings, and that's, that's what I'm going to do, whether I can, you know, whatever it takes to get it done. Um, but I don't, I never had anybody that I kind of, said, hey, that's, you know, this guy's doing it right. And, you know, as in work and stuff, I met people that, and I don't know, maybe I'm conceited, and i just like, no, I, I can do it better than that. You know, I don't know. Well, but, so yourself. Yeah. Your future self. My future self, yeah. To, as, as more of like the old guy who said, I told you not to screw up, kid. <laughs> don't do that. All right. So now into the deep questions. All right. Coke or Pepsi? Coke. Why? Because it tastes better. Pepsi is gross. <laughs> it's syrupy goo. And Coke, you know, I wish that I was, you know, I happened to have gone to one of those Pepsi taste tests in the 80s, like at some, and I would have just, I would have just killed it. Yeah. I would have like, I would have done a spit take in the guy's face and be like, oh, this is horrible. Like, you know. Because I can, I can tell the difference. People are like, oh, no, I can't really tell the difference. Between... No, there's a huge difference. Coke is far superior. Okay. You heard it here, folks. All right, Coke, you can send us money. Um, in your opinion, 
What are some of the best ways someone can learn the skills that you've cultivated? Skills that I've cultivated? Yeah. Um, I'd have to first determine what skills I have. Um, <laughs> again, I think I think a large part of a large part of what I what I do is is twofold. It's it's building related. So it's understanding how buildings work, how they're built, um, how they fail. I learned, honestly, I, I learned the majority of that by working in construction and taking apart failed buildings and um, kind of studying what worked and what didn't work when when there was any form of disaster, whether it was a fire or some sort of loss, you would see the areas that, um, that failed and the areas that, that didn't fail and you start to you know just internally ask the question, well, hey, how come this piece stood up and that piece didn't? <clears throat> and you, you commit that to memory. And then over time, as you're working on your own projects, you remember those things and, and you and say to yourself, well, you know, hey, I remember this, this held up really well. Let's use this material or let's use that material. And I think you can, you can do that in any, any form of, of work or artistry that you do. Um, architecture, obviously being the uh, a form of art, is you you find what works. You find you know in, in that realm, it, when it comes to structures, you also have to look at okay. I'm gonna I have to find out what works and what's gonna stand the test of time. But it's not gonna be hideous and ugly, and uh, you know, make people sad when they walk into the space. <laughs> Um, well, so some you, people don't worry so much about that. I've right? seen some architecture that's <laughs> right. like, ah, you're like, oh, this is sad. It's not the best. Uh, it might not have been done by an architect, um, or an architect who was just you know fed up and they just needed developer money. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but I think I think you you. I was reading this this uh, this book and and the architect was talking about how architecture and architects. The the interesting aspect about it is that they're one of the arts that is produced that that the the users the end users um, might not be the client and the end users may have no clue who um, designed the space right so in in music you most people you know know the artist uh, of, a, of a musical score or a, or any form of of music and uh, same thing with art you recognize a painting or you 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 know it's signed in some manner but you walk into a lobby of a building and you say to yourself wow this looks really cool you have no idea who designed it or what sure. their intent was or what their thought was when they designed it so you're designing uh for an audience that you'll never meet that will never meet you will never know you know for the most part who you are or why you came up with the design so you uh you have to design in a manner that you know is is going to be the best possible solution for that situation and hope that you know it stands the test of time it's true there's very few famous architects out there no and even if even if uh there were more of them uh, you wouldn't know them i mean if they were walking down the street i mean you know a famous musician walks down the street and you're like oh hey you know you know you've seen him before there's media attention uh there's not you know, even famous architects. I can think of famous architects that are alive, and if I saw them on the street, I wouldn't recognize them. And right. I've seen their pictures before. <laughs> um, but, you know, not every day. Yeah. Uh, what pitfalls have you seen other businesses fall into, and how can people mitigate that risk? Cash flow. Cash flow is, is a huge pitfall. Um, I think just 
whether it's too fast a growth or just not not watching it closely um i think the the biggest factor is is cash flow is you know you 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 have money coming in from whatever work it is that you're doing or whatever um you are producing and those dollars have to translate to uh, income for yourself or uh, employees or contractors and they have to go towards uh, infrastructure for your company uh, to help your company grow. So I always, um, again, taking class in, in construction management and um, uh, business management in general, I always just sort of use the rule of thirds and saying, okay, a third of whatever you develop or whatever monies you get uh, a third of it goes to the business, a third goes to the principal, and a third goes to the, you know, to the, um, the individual who, who did that work. Um, so when it's you and you are that individual, you have to remember to give yourself a third, give a third to the company for growth. And then you have this other third um, because you are also the principal um, and you are also, that you have to decide, you know, what's the best use for that. And I think, you know, a lot of people say, um, hey, I'm going to take two thirds, and then this third, and then they, or I'm going to give two thirds to to this, and I think, you know, there you you have to just balance based on what your work is and what your goals are, on what's going to be the what's going to be the best solution for your business to help it grow, and I think cash flow is a huge component of that. Um, so with those thirds, how does that uh, where do taxes fit into that? Um, typically, what what we try to do is each quarter get an idea of what the what the taxes are um and part of that third is 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 putting money away for taxes or anticipating what taxes are going to be and it's tough because you can do quarterly you can do quarterly you can do each month look back and see you know what you generated income but there's so many variables with taxes oh I, I bought a new computer so that's tax deductible but it can be amortized over a period of time so it's so variable month to month that it's hard to track you really have to go and that's why they do quarterlies is each quarter you look back and go okay how much money did I actually make right and then to help you plan for the next quarter to say okay hey I'm behind the dime a little bit on taxes I'm gonna have to pay more in taxes next and then you get a big project and you generate a bunch of income and you're like well shoot now i have even more tax so it's i think it's easy to get behind the dime on that and i think you know cash flow is a big a big piece of that is when those dollars come in you know knowing how you're going to allocate them yeah and uh because i think with with small businesses especially i think you get to the end of the year and you, you just go wow i had that much in taxes that i had to pay i mean um it hurts i think you know when you're a small business owner if you you know you have the opportunity that's why um you know iras and things exist to allow you to um to save money at the end of the year that that's not going to get taxed and help you reduce your tax and help you to actually save money when you're a you're an entrepreneur that's you know biting and scratching for for every nickel you get yeah how should people go about finding their purpose i have no clue mine fell into my lap I think I I um I guess I always knew that I liked you know I liked building things I liked um you know I'd go to the river and everybody'd be playing in the river and I'd be 
building forts with rocks and you know little townships and things um but i you know i think you i think everyone has um gifts everybody is given gifts um whether uh whether they like it or not i i my wife uh, was listening uh, to an interview or a podcast or something, and it was a it was a um, I don't know if he was a motivational speaker or whatever, but his his tagline was uh, uh, "God don't make no junk," right? So this thought process that you know, hey, uh, we we all have talents, we have you know um, things that we enjoy doing and that we're that we're good at, and I think it's just having the ability to recognize that. Um, to step back and recognize, like, hey, I really like doing this. I'm really good at this, and fostering it as best as you can, and you know, just getting into it, finding ways to make money at it. Well, yeah. monetizing it is <laughs> sometimes the challenge for certain, uh, yeah, certain that gifts is the, or talents. That is the hard part. Yeah, it's finding finding be. an audience that will um, will pay for for that thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know how you translate it into dollars. It depends on the thing, I think. I think some things are easier to translate into dollars than others. Yeah. Yeah. Sneeds, how... for instance. Apparently <laughs> translate well into dollars. Everyone needs one. Yeah. Um, how has technology changed your work over the years? I, I started doing drafting in high school. Um, we did some hand drafting. and But for the most part... Uh, we were drafting on computer, um, so designing on a computer has always been uh, has always been something I've done. But now um, a lot of the design and a lot of the conceptual design is done in three D, whether it's a a Revit program or SketchUp or something. Where I think you know more and more people are accustomed to seeing virtual uh, rendering of what a building's going to look like or what a space is going to look like. And I, I'm hearing that more and more from clients of, you know, I have a project right now where a, a vehicle uh, hit hit a house and they have a, had a custom brick and it can't be replaced. So they're trying to determine what the, what the best brick option or stone option or plaster will be. And in the past, it would be something that we would, you know, we would do a uh, rendering of with Prismacolors and and uh, and paint and and now I've hired an uh, industrial design student to do a rendering of hey here's the brick samples that they found and some stone samples that we found and here's the configuration that we want to use and they uh, through some sort of wizardry pasted onto the face of this building and oh, okay here's what it'll look like in real life you know at some you know at some level and um it's it that's had a huge impact on on um the work that i do and i think things like pinterest and house um are they're 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 good and they're bad they they i think give people some ideas of what they'd like to see um but they also create a narrative that might not otherwise exist. Um, that people see something on Pinterest and 
oh, they're really excited about it. And then next thing you know, every house that you're working on, you know, it's the same kitchen over and over again. You're like, Pinterest, damn you. <laughs> You've, you know, created this monotony of, you know, subway tile and granite. And um, because people see it and go, well, this is what everybody, you know, wants. And this is what the, the cool thing is. And I think the other thing, too, is that with, you know, shows like, you know, flip this house, property brothers, things like that. I've noticed that um, the expectations for the amount of time it takes to design something, people assume like, but, <laughs> right. but property brothers yeah, you can did do it, it in a weekend, right? Yeah, yeah. property yeah. brothers did it. You know, they just they met with them, and then the next day they had this design. And like, well, you realize that's an edited show, right? It was probably like <laughs> a month later that. Yeah. You know, why can't we just do a 3D? Can't you just do it right here, right now? It just no, takes like 45 minutes, right? right. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, I could do a 3D of a house in 45 minutes if you wanted. It wouldn't look very great, but it would be a 3D of a house. Congratulations, here you go. And so I think I think um, that aspect, uh, technology has has changed where, you know, the expectations, the time, you know, that you know everybody talks about, you know, emails and stuff coming in and... Um, handing this now and I think the expectation of you know how quick things go and I think uh, when it comes to architecture art music any any form of of that type of expression it takes time uh, writing takes time yeah you know it takes a lot of edits it takes thought and you know you may get something written and go through it and scratch out 50% of it and rework it but if you're under a deadline or uh, I think it, you know, it inhibits the spirit. So you got to you got to find a balance between uh, doing what you want to do, and again getting paid for doing it, right? So, hey, I'll have this, you know, I'll have this house designed for you by the end of you know twenty twenty. It's not you're not going to get paid for that. People want it sooner, so you have to take this collective knowledge that you have and do the best that you can in a short you know, crunch time frame where you don't have the luxury of, you know, months and months sitting down and hashing it out. Right. If I say the word second chance, what is a story or two that comes to mind? I've done a pretty good job of maintaining the straight and narrow. <laughs> um, but, you know, there was a time where I was, I, I wanted a, uh, a, it was a milkshake. And the only place that had these really, really good milkshakes... This is a great start of a story, by the way. ...was this... uh, It was a British Petroleum in Newburgh, which is, you know, over the hill from where I lived in Aloha at the time. And so, you know, hankering for a milkshake at, you know, 2.30 in the morning. And there was a a group of three of us. We're like, yeah, let's go do this. And uh, heading over the hill, and somebody commented... You know, you're going too slow. And in my, you know, 17, 16-year-old wisdom, I was like, oh, yeah, well, and punched it. And inevitably ended up going off a cliff and kind of, you know, barreling the car into the side of a hill. And everyone safe, no injuries whatsoever. And this is, you know, before cell phones. So, you know, everybody kind of climbs up the hill and two in the morning on a back road inevitably waved down a car and they had some form of cell phone and was able to um, call and have someone's parents pick us up um, but that was a time where I realized you know where I, I you know where the, the my lack of judgment of 
you know, hey, you know, everybody, you know, so-and-so says that I should do this. And I went, okay, well, I'll do it. And I think that was, a, you know, an opportunity to, to go, hey, don't be stupid. You know, right. Make, I like that. Yeah. Make, your own, make your own decisions. It doesn't matter what the, you know, the voices in the backseat are, you know, taunting you with. Right. Um, you, you'll end up in a ditch because they're not the ones driving. <laughs> so. There you go. All right. Uh, what is your favorite and worst parts of daily business? Um, I think because of the, because of how much we've grown and the, and the amount of clients that we have, and then just the, the, the nature of the work that we do, it, it has, it has really strict timelines and it's just not, I, I have no concept of time whatsoever. It's just not a skill set that I have. I am late for everything on a regular basis and to where, uh, friends and family will often schedule things, you know, 30 minutes later than, you know, than they tell me knowing that I'm going to be there 30 minutes late. And in this type of work, you know, you, you have to have stuff done at a certain time. And it's, it's extremely difficult for me to, to get things done. You know, I just don't want to make that last little tweak or, oh, you know, I, uh, so I end up, you know, waking up really early or staying up really late to get stuff done. And so just the, the, the pressure of time yeah. is something that I, it's just hard for me to, to handle. I want to just, you know, I'll get it done when I get it done. Damn it. <laughs> leave me alone. That doesn't fly. Right. Um, but oddly enough, the thing that I'm like the most about it is the, you know, just the, the constant, there's constantly something. Yeah. I think I would get, I would, I would get extremely bored if you know if my I think my mind would just would just brace all over the place if there wasn't this you know this backlog of things that needed to get done yeah it, you know so um, so you know they, they kind of act in concert nice so how does a person balance life family creativity and their work I don't know do you know I think you're doing it so you think so I think so I don't know you have to make the decision, I think, of what comes first in any situation. I try to, and I don't know how one does this, but I, I try to say, hey, my, my family's going to come first. And and then you balance it out on the on the back end that, that, hey, you know, if my kid wants to go do something or, you know, my wife wants to, hey, let's go hiking this weekend and I know that I've got a lot of work to do. I internally balance it and say, okay, hey, we're going to, we're going to do this thing. We're going to have fun. And then I'm going to work late one night and I'm going to, I'll wake up before everybody else. I'll get up at four in the morning. Nobody else will be awake and I can get a bunch of stuff done. And so there's sacrifices that, you know, in my eyes, like, you know, sleep is a sacrifice, but that's why caffeine was invented, you know? <laughs> um, but I, I think you just have to make the decision of what's important. And, um, and I forget often you know, I'll say, oh, I'm going to get this done. I'm going to get this done. And my kids are like, no, you know, just one more underdog. And like, <laughs> I can't do another underdog right now. I got a conference call. <laughs> but, you know, you realize that there's a season to everything. And at some point in time, my kids aren't going to want an underdog and aren't going to want me to sleep, you know, in the bed with them. And there, I will be sitting at a computer doing work. And I'll say to myself, oh, I probably should have done one more underdog. Or I should have, you know, laid in bed with them longer. 
Um, so I try and think about that now, realizing that, you know, my oldest is seven. You don't want to have a cats in the cradle moment. Right, I don't. I don't want that. Right? How important is it for you to be able to pivot in any given situation? It's, it's constant. It's, it's extremely important to be able to, because you're constantly adjusting to, um, and I don't know, maybe I, I do it wrong, but I have a tendency to, um, you know, it's kind of like a, it's what I call, um, a mini trucker magazine. So in the movie Clerks, right, they, they're talking about the, the, you know, their people that are coming in mm-hmm. and, um, you know, oh, you should see the barrage of stupid clients I get, right? And he's talking about this one guy and the guy comes in and goes, do you have hubcaps for a 72 Pinto hatchback? Ooh, mini trucker magazine, right? Just that switch. <laughs> and I think I, I try to, I do that regularly that, you know, oh, phone call. And then you're, you know, you heard the buzzing of my phone. What do they want? I wonder, do they need to answer it? Do, what, you know, what do they right, need? And right. it's like, no, Chris, focus, focus, focus on what you're doing. <laughs> and it's like, you know, so we have the computers off. Cause if I, you know, if I see an email or something, and I think with email, something pops up and go, oh, I need to address that. It's like, no set that aside right. finish the damn thing you're working on <laughs> um, I get easily distracted by those types of things so I think being able to pivot is is huge because you have to be able to know when to pivot yeah. and when not to and say is this important do I need to address this right now or can this wait a moment what are some difficult times you've faced as a business owner uh, I'm going to go back to cash flow I mean early on in the business it was hard to have to have dollars and try and figure out, you know, um, how you were going to make a living, where you were going to get money, whether or not, you know, I knew that the business was going to, to work out well, but in this industry, in the insurance industry, there's a term, um, slow pay, not no pay. Uh, so I regularly would have cl- had clients, had insurance, not, not so much insurance companies, but when contractors would take them a long time to get paid from the insurance companies, then it would be sometimes a year, you know, so you're doing a project and it's like a year later you get paid. So when you're front ending a bunch of work, right? So I leave the company that I'm at and I'm starting projects and I start a project that takes me two, three weeks to do. And I know I'm not going to get paid for 60, 90 days. Yeah. So, you know, I think, um, I think I think you know cash flow, you know makes it makes a huge, huge impact on on what decisions you make and and how you make them and. Uh, what are some difficult times you face in life in general? I think, I think the the most in life in general. I think the most difficult was uh, my dad passing away, and he passed away. He was he wasn't young, but he was you know he was in his, I guess he was young. He was in his uh, early sixties. And um, didn't have kids yet. I I was married, so he got to come to my wedding. But um, and we didn't have that great of a relationship. Um, but we're starting to build our relationship at the time. And so um, there was that realization of you know he's never going to see my kids. He's not going to see that you know. See, I told you I'd finish school, and I you know all this stuff. Um, and I think sort of overcoming that and realizing like you know that's it is what it is. You're just gonna you know, move forward and, you know, when you have a kid, you know, build that relationship strong so that, you know, the two of you aren't looking back, you know, years later and saying, oh, I should have this or I should have that. I can't say I've overcome it, but it's, you know, struggle that, you know, I have to often say like, okay, well, 
You know? It's always a work in progress. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How have you learned to overcome adversity? Arrogance. Sheer arrogance. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, I'm better than you. Um, no, I mean, there is a, there, yeah, it's a funny thing to say, but there is a, there is an aspect of that, right? That you have to believe that you are the best at what you're doing and believe that, to, to believe that you can do it. And there is a level of arrogance to be able to do that, not to a level of swagger where you're, you know, cutting other people down, but, you know, just internally saying, you know, realizing that, hey, you're good at what you're doing. You know, don't let somebody else or, you know, hey, I didn't, you know, because a lot of times I'm like, oh, I didn't get that project. You know, should I have, you know, were my fees too high? What was it? And, you know, at some level you have to just say, well, you know what? I know that I did the best that I was going to do. So, you know, if somebody else got it, then, you know, they're, they weren't better than me. They were just better for that situation. Um, and maybe they weren't better for that situation. Maybe the, the client was just an idiot. They picked the wrong person. I don't know. <laughs> that can happen. Um, right. But yeah, I think that's, the, I think that's the best, in my opinion, you know, that's how you overcome adversity is you just stay, you know, stay positive about yourself and what you're, you're doing. Nice. Well, you got to be able to back it up too. No, you don't. Just be arrogant. <laughs> just okay. say it till other people believe it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what is your solution to combat wildfire damage to homes? The sustainable structure, at least one of those things that you were talking. So we, what we've been looking at. Um, I mean, the wildfires has been have been a huge issue in California, and we uh, have been uh, designing some houses lately that are um, ICF houses. So they're they're concrete um, formed houses that are done with insulated forms, and then pour concrete in the middle. Uh, and we're doing a house right now that is walls, roof, floors, all concrete interior, metal studs, uh, tile roof sprinklers on the inside uh, just trying to we we they're in a fire hazard area there's the likelihood of a fire coming through is is high um probably not to the level that came through uh when it did but um the likelihood that it will happen again um, is fairly high and so you know there's there's things you can there's things you just you can't do i mean they they talk about you know clear the area around your house and you know, have distance, but, you know, when you're in, you know, a somewhat urban setting, you don't have that luxury of distance, you know, you don't have the luxury of, you know, my neighbor is, you know, an acre away or whatever, so I can protect my, my house a little bit better when your neighbor is three feet from you, um, and they're three feet from the other person and so on and so forth. The fire starts, you know, its ability to jump to the next house is, is pretty high. So we're, we're looking at ways, we're looking at resilient design efforts that will inhibit the spread of a fire from one house to another and, and also trying to do it in a way that is architecturally and aesthetically pleasing. I mean, you can design a giant concrete box that, you know, is a bunker, but um, people still have to live in it. It has to, has to have look. some appeal. Yeah, and I, I think the, the biggest part of it is you're going to have windows, you're going to have doors, you're going to have openings, and fire-rated windows and doors are extremely expensive. So you have to attest to the fact that, you know, there's a likelihood that fire is going to get in, um, but if you can you can build the rest of the structure out of stuff that is um, has a level of, of fire retardant to it, 
you can sustain the structure and maybe the, the losses to uh, contents and um, minor finishes. But for the most part, you can remove those finishes, remove all, remove all those things and rebuild with the structure still intact and not have to literally start from the ground up. Yeah. Um, so there was the... You have you have other types of sustainable properties that you've, or or, or not properties, but uh, structures that you've looked into designing for flood zones. Yeah, we've done so uh, a lot of um, on the coast, building on the coast, building um, in flood areas. There are a lot of design options now that that essentially say, hey, you know, the area is going to flood. Let the water come in. Uh, because a lot of times in a, in a flood scenario, the water will come in and it'll come in with such pressure that it'll knock a house off a foundation. Mm-hmm. So they have, you know, breakaway vents and things that the water will just flow and you, you set the foundation deep enough so it's stable during a condition where, you know, it could be washing out uh, dirt and washing debris up against the house. So um, designing for impact, designing for uh, loss of soil around a foundation, you know, making those kind of determinations ahead of time i think you have to you have to look at each site individually and say okay what are the what are the possible liabilities here and how can we do that but you also have to do it in a way that is financially feasible i mean again you you know and you know aesthetically pleasing but you you're and i think with with as many floods and fires and tornadoes and hurricanes and things that that we're seeing on a regular basis, whether they're occurring more often or we're just exposed to them more often, I think the design industry and science industry have connected to that and said, okay, we need to do a better job of building structures that can withstand these things as opposed to just a throwaway structure. That is there is there a need for contractors to learn new skills as well for, uh, you know, the design can happen, but then people have to be able to do the work to make it yeah absolutely i think uh contractors designers um there are these new technologies that that we're we're gonna have to to vet and understand them better and i think working more as a team on trying to make those types of things happen it's just a it's a continual education on materials and i think you know the science there's the science there and i think the science is lacking a little bit i think you know it's not something that has you know there's material testing but it's not something that gets a lot of funding you know it's not you know materials testing on concrete strength is not something that gets a lot of funding i know psu just got a piece of equipment first on the west coast that does that will do microscopic views of materials that they can you know view steel glass concrete that will allow them to study impacts and, and what these things can hold up to, how to strengthen them. But it took a, you know, a little over a half a million dollar, you know, donation from, you know, an individual. So I think those types of things, you know, that was generous of you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, somebody had to <laughs> help out where I can. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's not a lot of people ro- rolling around with, you know, half a million dollars to, to spend on, you know, hey, let's get this giant piece of equipment and harbor it in the school so that people can learn. I think it's just, you know, funding the things that need to get funded versus, you know, erectile dysfunction. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, think, I think we figured that out. There's a lot of pills out there. Right. They have at the mini mart. I can go get one right now if I need to. Can you tell us how you got involved in helping the efforts 
to rebuild in Sonoma County, California? Yeah, so in it was uh, October 2017 when the wildfires came through. A significant amount of, of structural damage. Uh, something in the neighborhood of 6,500 structures were damaged. And we had done some work with a, a local contractor who whose brother-in-law was a contractor in in and around the Bay Area and had worked with um, other companies before and typically was doing two to three projects at a time. And when this came about, he, he had some friends and family who had lost homes and he was looking for someone who could who could take on a lot of projects at once. And we had just you know, started, started our growth and added, added a new person. And we were contemplating adding a a third individual. And, and, uh, we were asked to go out at the time FEMA had given a a deadline to people to make the determination whether or not they were going to get FEMA assistance for cleanup on their lots. Um, they'd given a deadline of, I believe it was November 13th. And they had to decide whether or not they were going to have FEMA clean up and how much. So people were trying to make the determination whether or not their foundations were still stable, if they could build on the existing foundation, or whether or not the foundation just needed to be uh, completely removed and started over. Because at the time, FEMA was saying, hey, if we're going to come in, we're going to do the demo. We are going to scrape the lot down to nothing. We're not saving anything. We're not, you know, we're just going to, uh, we're just going to scrape it, throw everything away. Um, well, some of the foundations even like peeled, right? The the they were weakened. Yeah, weakened, from the fire. cracked. Uh, some of them, you know, again, just the the amount of heat. But not all of them were that way, and so people were were curious. You know, is my is my foundation damaged to the point where I have to you know have it replaced, or can I save it? Um, because I need to let FEMA know. And so we were this. I want to say it was thirteenth. So it was a Monday. We went down Friday the eleventh. And flew in, it was a, two of us as a team flew in, uh, had to stop off at Home Depot and get uh, tools and things because, you know, stuff you, we didn't want to check anything on the planes. We, we had a short amount of time to fly in, fly out uh, that day and, you know, picked up some tools and hammers and different uh, sampling materials and and we did about 10 houses in, in that day. I mean, just went from house to house. And of those 10, I think there was one that we determined the foundation was adequate enough to save. Um, the rest of them were, you know, they, they were crumbled. They were, um, you know, deteriorated enough or they were an older type of construction, brick, rubble foundations. Some of the concrete foundations just saw an extreme amount of heat. And, and so we ended up on the plane on the way back writing up our reports and from that we were able to then meet again with the clients later and talk about rebuilding efforts and since then I think we've completed designs on 40 houses I think construction with the contractors that we were working with have completed about about two dozen houses and we've we currently have three in design right now uh, but for the most part, I mean, of the 5,700 structures or whatever it was, um, there's still not, I mean, there's still probably less than 200 people moved back into their homes and living, and this is a year and a half. Yeah. So the, the effort by everyone involved, contractors, uh, cities, jurisdictions, states, federal, has been 
and there's been some slow movement pieces, but then there's and there's been other pieces. And when you're when you're talking about you know rebuilding a, a whole neighborhoods uh, from scratch, it takes a, it takes a lot of people. Yeah, and it takes a lot of laborers. It takes a lot of professionals. It takes a lot of everybody just sort of working together in concert. And at sometimes you're you're kind of on the fly coming up with what will work and what what won't work and timelines and big 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 project. Um, how did you develop your drive and grit? I don't like to lose. I think it just developed. Again, I mean, we talked about this a little bit. It developed as a young age of, hey, I don't want to end up here. So, you know, you, you use that as a motivation of, you know, just keep moving forward, get through the tough stuff. Because if you, if at any point in time, I always feel like if I let it slip, it's, you know, you're just so close to, to you know, being back there. I saw, I think it was like on a hoarder show one time, and somebody was commenting about, you know, it was this hoarder house, and somebody was living in a tent in the front yard of this person's house. And the, the, the commentator, whoever was on the thing, said, you know, we're all just three bad decisions away from living in a tent in someone's front yard. And I'm like, yeah, I wholeheartedly <laughs> believe that. Yeah. You know? So I think that, you know, you just, you realize that, you know, every decision has an impact on, on where you end up, you know, and I think you, you have to be cognizant about it. You have to think, you know, is this, is this decision... In doing this is going to move me forward. Is going to move me backwards. So, who are some people that inspire you and or have inspired you over the years? Inspired me. Yeah. Um, my wife does a lot. I mean, just the the trials and tribulations that she's been to been through, and and you know her ability to get up every morning and continue to keep going, and you know being there for the kids, and it's it's impressive, and seeing seeing that going okay you know this is someone who's trying their hardest and failing at things and gets up again and says all right i'm gonna try that i'm gonna try this this time i i haven't um i haven't seen very many failures just luck i guess and so it's easy for me to just say oh yeah just keep going because you know i've never really experienced like you know oh this didn't work that didn't work um i've kind of the things that i've done for luck of the draw have worked out oh yeah i'm gonna all right i'm gonna through hell or high water i'm gonna finish college okay i I did that you know i'm gonna start a business okay i did that i'm gonna start working in an architecture firm at 19 okay i did that you know and just um so i've been lucky in that sense so to like i said to see someone who's like oh i'm gonna do this didn't work hey i'm gonna go do this nope that didn't work either and it's like how do you keep going how do you keep doing this? And, you know, so I think that's inspiring to see that, you know, not everybody is, you know, lucky. I mean, not everybody, you know, there are tons of people out there who was just like, yeah, but I'm giving it my all and I still don't, I'm not seeing success. And it's like, oh yeah, well, far better for you because, uh, you know, you're, you know, I don't know, I don't know how people do it. I don't know how. So there are far better people out there than I that are that are that are doing those you know that have the ability to just keep moving forward and going. All right, this didn't work out, but it's not going to stop me. I'm going to keep trying. I think that that is inspiring. Can you tell us about your current projects and where you'd like to focus your efforts? Um, current projects, uh, we've got a couple of 
um, custom houses in uh, that are fire fire replacement houses in um, in Sonoma County. One is is with a developer. One is uh, a homeowner that really like the projects. I mean, the one with the homeowner has been I've been working with him for almost two years now, and just you know getting to know his uh, his story and. Uh, getting to know the the family and, and being able to design a house for them, for their family and for what their needs are um, has been really, really interesting and really, uh, uh, really fun thing to do. And I'm, I'm glad to be able to be a part of that project. And then locally, uh, for the most part, you know, there are projects because they're, you know, they're fire damages, they're uh, vehicular damages, um, for insurance companies, for contractors. A lot of times we just we're in and out, um, so we don't necessarily get to you know some projects. I never meet the client. I don't know who the homeowner is. We just hey repair the building and, and move on. So we put you know all of our effort into okay, you know this could be you know your your sister's house, and so let's just you know push it through. But um, at any point in time, this time of year, April May is usually a little bit slower time of year. The sort of disaster season, if you will, locally. It's kind of a fire season starts in, you know, late June, early July. So it's it's gearing up for that, knowing that, you know, there's going to be a, bu- a bunch of stuff coming through and making sure that, that the people that I work with are aware that, you know, hey, be ready when yeah. this thing comes. And because it's going to be all hands on deck. And we, you know, because the goal is, you know, we aspire to get projects turned around as quickly as possible. And it's completely different in, like I said, in, in May, we we average about you know, 10 to 12 projects a month in April, May, and then June, July, August, it's 30. So it's a, it's a huge, huge difference. It's a huge jump. And so this is kind of a relaxing time where we're kind of building the, building the business, looking at ways that we can do things better, coming up with ways that, you know, we can... Uh, systematize. Yeah, yeah, systematize things and, and make things... Knowing that okay, we're gonna have this big push, and then it'll slow down again in um, September, October, and then we'll have another push November, December, January, February, and so it's cyclical. So we use these off times to to like you said, systemize and and look at ways that we can we can do better. What are one or two memorable stories from your career so far? Memorable stories from my career, you know. So like I said, I started working in the industry I was I was really young I was uh, 19 I think it was 19 between 19 and 20 when I first started an architecture firm and they had a they had sort of an unwritten rule that the uh, the new guy buys beer on on Friday and so they're like hey a new guy you gotta buy beer and I said okay that's fine but you know I don't have an ID so can somebody come with me and and so I was sort of branded with that at the first firm that I worked at. And it, you know, just having always been the youngest person in the work that I've done has always made it, has always made it interesting. And, and now being 41, uh, still a lot younger than a lot of the people that I work with, but I'm starting to, you know, work with some people that are younger and, you know, being able to be that person that all of a sudden says wait you weren't born when nirvana's nevermind came out and (laughs) and all of a sudden realizing what the people meant when they said you weren't born when you know 
some Rolling Stone album came out and Led Zeppelin came out. I'm like, okay, yeah, it was a big deal. Now I get it. I'm like, holy hell, that is a that is a big thing. But uh, no, I, so I was I always thought that was funny that you know just you know as young as I was, just this realization of oh, okay, and, and and again I remember doing uh, things that it's I always tell uh, people that I'm like mentoring or working with, and they're like, well, how do you know this? And I'll say, this guy fucked it up before. You know, everything that I know how to do is because I've screwed it up once. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm not screwing that up again. And I can think of one where I was doing a, um, so in, uh, when you're a drafter, a lot of times somebody will, you know, they'll have something, they'll make red lines and they'll draw up, okay, you need to do this and you do this and they'll hand it over to you. And then you draw it up and then you print it out and hand it back to them and they go through it and they mark it up. It's like, you know, it's like constant school. The teacher's always like, oh, you did this paper wrong. Here you go, do it again. And I remember I was, I was doing some details of some, door and window jams and I had door and I spelled it jam as in like a jam jar and the guy just looked at me he's like he shakes his head oh and he's like puts the new B on there and I'm, and I'm still looking at it he's like it's jam not jam it's not you don't eat it oh oh right I get it and so you know things like that that you know I just these you know times and I'll still be drawing something and I'm like oh yep Screwed that up before. <laughs> Don't do that. Tough way to learn, but you learn. It is. Yeah. It is the way you learn, I think. What would be your advice to 16-year-old Chris if he would listen? <laughs> he would not listen. Danny Oaks knew 16-year-old Chris. He would not listen. I guarantee you. My advice would be to grab him by the neck and say, Damn it, listen to me. <laughs> now... Uh, I would say, no, you, you don't need that milkshake and, you know, (laughs) pay attention when you're driving. It's good advice. You know, yeah, you know, school does make a difference. Don't, don't be laissez-faire about it. You know, you got an F in German because you didn't show up, not because you didn't like the class. (laughs) Uh, it's just, I think it's just slapping them around a little bit and saying, come on, man. You're smarter than this. You should have told your teacher your extracurricular German activities, like sending faxes to Gustav at yeah at NRK that, in know, German in German, so but, he could correct it for you. But you know they don't. Uh, what they cared about was that you showed up for first period, yeah. which is at some god awful time, like seven thirty in the morning. Who does that to a sixteen year old? You know. Uh, yeah, I guess I was a little older when I had to had eight o'clock German classes, but I worked until four thirty in the morning, so Yeah, but you were that in, was you were rough. in college. You were in college, so you were you were you were paying for it. Yeah. I paid for it though. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I paid for it all right. I'm still paying for it. That damn hot lips pizza. <laughs> so he wouldn't listen. No, right? absolutely not. You know I know. Even if I traveled back in time and and was like, no, trust me, I'm you in the future. Like, whatever. Um, people's stories have multiple layers. You're no exception. Can you talk about this, being a father, husband, business owner, problem solving, and your solution-based business? That's a um, big one. That is a big one. I mean, because it is a solution-based business, because the, the, the company is is its goal is to to kind of fix fix issues once there's been something i i have taken advice uh from an old from a, a boss that i had is the uh, principal of the, of the company that i was at and he would always say to me he's like you're you're trying to fix the problem quit trying to fix the problem just get rid of it and so you know i started to look at things from that standpoint of 
you know, as opposed to saying, well, if I move this over here and I move that over there, instead just say, okay, step back a little bit and look at it and like, why, why are you trying to fix this issue? Just get rid of this thing that's causing you this, this heartburn, you know, look at it in a different way. Why, you know, why is it causing you heartburn in the first place? It's not, you're not going to be able to fix it. You can't fix it. So, you know, remove this component or find another way to do what you're trying to do, but don't try and, don't try and fix this thing, right. you know, solve the problem. Don't just fix it. You got to solve the problem. And I think I do that a lot in work, in life. It's a little bit harder. You know, I have a tendency to, you know, like, Hey, I want to fix this. I want to fix that. Let's fix this. Let's fix that. Oh, let's, um, as opposed to stepping back and, so I think, you know, you know, taking advice from myself in my work, um, and doing that more in life, I think is, it's a little bit harder. It's easier to do in, in work, I think, because maybe the consequences aren't as, uh, aren't as drastic, um, because you have a little bit more carte blanche in work to, uh, remove pieces and say, okay, this isn't working. That's not working. We can pull it out in life. That's not the case. You can't just say like, well, you know, you bother me, you're out. You know, um, or, you know, Hey, I don't, you know, whatever, you know, whatever the, whatever the thing is, I don't like, you know, I can't not have seasonal allergies and asthma. I'm not going to just be like, Oh, that's gone. You know, so you have to like, okay, how do I, you know, do I want to wear a face mask when I mow the lawn? No, because I look like a jackass, but I also don't want to sneeze for the next six hours because I didn't. So, you know, that is a good component of like, okay, quit trying to fix the, you know, fix the problem. It's like, okay, well, maybe if I do this, it's just like, no, just get rid of it. Put a mask on. You know, you put a mask on. Okay, this is great. Now I don't have any problems. You're like, yeah, but you look like an idiot. So what? But, you know, those. You see a lot of people looking like idiots every day, right? Yeah, tons of idiots (laughs) out there. You're no exception, man. Come (laughs) on. Um, if someone wanted to develop a business, how should they start? Um, I, it really, I think it really depends on the, on the business, but I think in general, like I said, I, I started in the least possible way of doing it. I just stumbled into it, but I think, I don't know that I have an answer. I think you just have to, I think you just have to decide and you have to have, there's got to be some dollars there somewhere, but I think you just have to decide and say, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And there's a possibility that I'm going to fail. There's a possibility that I'm going to fail miserably. I wake up every, at the beginning of every month and I, I am wholly positive that that is the month that I'm not going to get any new projects. So it'll be like the third, fourth, fifth of the month. And I haven't gotten a phone call about a new project. I'm like, this is it. It's over. This, that was the last, and then, you know, then I'll get a project. I'm like, okay, well, we got one project, all right, we're, you know, and then more and more stuff comes in, and, you know, you call people, and you're like, hey, how you, you know, how the kid, you know, what's going on, you got any projects, you know, just, you know, kick in your networking skills, but I do it every month, every month, I just, I assume, okay, this is it, um, you know, I read Who Moved My Cheese, you know, I know that, you know, you know, don't, don't just hang up your shoes. And I think, I think that's a big part of it is just you, you go after it, but you go after it assuming that, you know, you have some level of assumption that it's going to fail. And I think 
allows you to drive a little bit harder and say, okay, if I don't do this, it's going to fail. And yeah. you know, I, I don't want to work at the McDonald's drive-through anymore. I'm done with that. I want to do, you know, I want to do something. You different. did that. I did that. Yeah. yeah. And I don't want to do it that again. That was a long time ago. I did like, you know, working. You know, when you had to clean up the ball palace because the, like, all the kids go out and you clean it up and you're like, I got free reign to the ball palace today. <laughs> See? I'm sure, it was smelly and weird, but you know, <laughs> it's a ball yeah. palace. Who said there weren't benefits to working there? Right. So, what would be your advice to aspiring musicians and artists? Just uh, to to keep to keep going. Keep. I mean, like I said, you're you're gonna fail. It's gonna happen. Don't let that be the thing that defines you, unless it's the thing that pushes you. Um, stay true to to you know, what you want to do. I think I was, I was, I had just gotten a job and the office that I was at was in Old Town. And so it was late nineties, Old Town, right by the Burnside Bridge, you know, a lot of homeless people and drug paraphernalia laying about. And I was walking, getting off the max and walking to the, you know, walking up to the office. And there was a a homeless man uh, sitting there and he's like, Hey kid, what are you doing? So I'm going to work, work at an architecture firm right up here. And he, uh, he said, well, don't let the man get you down. Like, okay. And, you know, it's just funny because I, I never, you know, I didn't think of like, oh, you're going to work at an architecture firm. That's the man. Um, right. Cause you know, you, it's not something, but I think about that in terms of like, you know, corporate, there's a corporate aspect to what you do when you're in, when you have a business, when you're not, you know, when you're, you know, doing art for art's sake, music for music's sake versus like, I, I gotta sell this shit. I gotta get, right. I gotta get paid. Yeah. If it's your um, business, it's if it's your business, thing. there's a corporate and you, you know, you gotta put a fancy shirt on and you gotta go into that meeting and, and sell it. And then, you know, uh, but when you're doing that, you have to sell the, you know, sell this, sell the product. Don't sell yourself you know that's you have to you have to differentiate yeah differentiate that and it's hard because you know some people get you know can get really successful and they'll lose sight of that or people who are trying to become successful or just trying to you know make a living can lose sight of that because you know they're they're you know when you're faced with adversity like hey i gotta i got two options here i i can either you know sort of sell out or you know and feed my kids or I can stay true to what I'm doing, and it's you know ramen again, and you know <laughs> me and my kids hate ramen. But I think you you have there's these little incremental things that you that you do and decisions that you make every day that you know just kind of push you a little bit further and further ahead. But you know you just got to maintain that balance of you know not not pushing yourself to where you're. You know, you're not doing yourself any any favors, or you're getting too far away from what you were, what you're intending on doing. Yeah, I think that's a tough balance is between getting to the point where you're successful, but then if you're not true to your art or your vision, then you're. Then are you successful? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a tough one. Um, how important do you feel music writing and the arts are to society? I've. Uh, they're extremely important. I mean, you know, uh, there there are very few things in this world that I know, you know, that I know by heart. You know that you know, but of them, they are, you know, poems and lyrics and 
song beats and um i think that holds true for for so many people that those are the things that you know that give people music and and art and it's the things that have a a beauty that you know when everything is not going well you can turn to music or you can turn to art or if things are going really well you're like oh you know i really want to hear you know this song or i think there's a great scene in jerry Maguire, right he makes the sale and he's like driving down and he's like he's looking for that song that he can just <laughs> rock out to right and he's like yeah. flipping through the station and then it's just you know because i think we all have that moment where like something good happens where whatever it is um and then you know there's a song on the radio and you just crank it up and you're doing air guitar and air drumming or whatever on your steering wheel and you know, everybody's <laughs> eyeballing you're like i don't care and i think i think art and music and you know and poetry i mean you know without that 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 i think that that feeling doesn't exist it doesn't evoke i think there's nothing that in my opinion, I don't think there's anything that can invoke, you know, those strong of feelings. You know, you there are songs that I've that I listen to or that I hear and they bring back memories of of that time or just a general feeling about that song that, you know, makes you think about something about your kids or your or your your parents or some friends or something. Um, it doesn't even necessarily have to be a song that existed at that time, but there's it in I think it invokes a feeling, and I, for me, I I tend to utilize music as a, a barometer of 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 emotion. Oh, you know, I'm feeling this way. Like I'm gonna listen to, you know, I'm gonna listen to to this type of music, or you know, hey, I'm gonna maybe today I'm gonna listen to some Def Leppard, and then you know tomorrow I'm gonna listen to some Portishead, or you know, you just there's it's always music. It's always got to be some music going on in the background nice so why did you start your own company i figured i could do it better than anybody else um i'd worked at companies before and you know and i'd like i said it's a bit of arrogance and it was just you know what i can do this better i can do this better than than someone else and if i go to work for a company i'm just gonna feel the same way i'm gonna feel so i i remember implicitly my wife and i having this conversation about you know hey how much money we have to make in a month to to, sur- to survive and I started the company in in June and you know you're sort of high, riding high again like I said this this business is cyclical so in um, June July August things are you know things are booming so money you know projects are coming in or making some money and we're able to you know pay bills and you know we weren't saving any money we were weren't caught up in the first place so even thinking about like oh yeah let's put some money aside no that wasn't even a thought that was like all right we got all the bills paid and now we've got some money for groceries and then my son was born in september and the thought process was okay september october is slow months if we can get through september october slow months take care of the family then i can make this work and so you get through september got through october okay now if we get through november and get into december and then we're and it's just and like I said before, it's every month. It's just, all right. This is it. I, this is it. This is the last month I'm going to get projects. And I just, you know, each each month just go and and then, okay, how do I get more projects? And, you know, what do I do to, you know, to grow? And now I've got, you know, I don't have employees, but I have, you know, I have contract employees, but I still think of them and like, hey, you know, 
I'm responsible for getting them work. Yeah. All right. How do I get more work for someone else? Now I don't have just, you know, myself and my family to feed. Now I've got other people who are, have a level of dependency on me sending work their way. And, you know, it's stressful as all hell. I mean, but it, it's a driver. It's like, okay, well, I can't let these people down. And I have a lot of people tell me, you know, they're contract employees. You don't, you know, they're not your responsibility if they need to find work. It's like, yeah, but, but they also are. Right. Yeah. What are three things that you're grateful for? I am. I'm grateful that I that I have this opportunity to to have my own business to operate my own business. I know that, you know, in some you know alternate universe, this opportunity does not exist. I mean, you know, I don't. I am extremely lucky that. Um, the decisions that I made and the direction that I went, they, they could have easily gone the other way. It could have failed. You know, I don't, I don't know, you know, any one thing that I did that kept it from failing. Um, and like I said, at any time, it's like, just go downhill. So I'm, I'm grateful that, that I'm getting to, I'm getting to have a company, operate a company. I get to work from home, which even, other entrepreneurs, small businesses, you know, it doesn't necessarily work. If they have clientele, they need an office, they need a space. I get to, you know, I get to wake up in the morning, get some work done, you know, have breakfast with the kids, you know. Um, so I'm grateful to be able to, to be able to spend time with my family during during the day and on a random Tuesday go to the park and you know be able to um you know hey if an emergency arises or something be able to say hey i gotta step back and i gotta take care of this and and now like i said with having uh, people who are connected to the business i know that you know it's not fully dependent on me that things can move forward um i'm gonna take a vacation and i know that i'm when i go out of town that other people can handle projects and I don't have to worry about stuff so I'm grateful for for those those things just the, those abilities to be able to to kind of go the make decisions on that like I said they could easily go away tomorrow and nobody calls and there's no more work and like oh well I gotta go work for a company I gotta get up at 7.30 and you know I did it for 16 years and so much more fun, so much more enjoyable, so much more rewarding. But I don't, I don't, I just always assume that, all right, like I said, this is it. Enjoy it. You know, always enjoy it because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Sure. What is something that you're proud of? Like something that, that, uh, like, uh, that I accomplished? That you've accomplished or a person? Um, something, I mean, that something that I'm really proud of is I'm, that I got a, that I, got a degree that I got a college degree it didn't it wasn't necessary for the work that I did um but I always said that I would and you know yeah it, it took 11 years to do it but I'm glad that I kept at it I'm glad that I through hell or high water I just gonna take that other class it's gonna take that next class I'm gonna find a way to do this and yeah that's a, that is something that I'm proud of that I've that I've done nice it's a good thing any advice for listeners Who's listening to this? Me? Who's that? Tens of people Who? might listen. To <laughs> Who's it? out there? Um, 
the whole world is out there, Chris Nesselrod. Yeah, you know, um, maybe Billy Corrigan will hear. Yeah, this. Yeah, maybe he'll hear this. No, I think this is honestly this is really exciting when you brought this up. So you know, I am not. You know, like it's a podcast. What is a podcast? I don't. It's not something you I'm. Listen. I listen to music. It's on. You know, they come on CDs and you go buy them at stores. And so, this was a new thought process to me that you know I know that they exist I know you know I'm, I don't live under a rock I know that they exist I don't know how you get them where I, they're on YouTube or something I don't they're know they're on YouTube they're I don't, on Apple Podcasts or iTunes have, they're on Spotify yeah I don't have any of those things so Stitcher Overcast uh, yeah Bloppy YouTube I know YouTube exists you've heard of YouTube right? yeah okay that's good uh, I know that Spotify is looking at you know Looking at her, did an IPO. I read that somewhere. I didn't know what they did, but I know that Apple exists. I have an iPad, but no, I think I think you know for the for the listeners out there, understanding this and seeing this this medium, I think it's really cool. I think you know, congratulations to to finding this, and I think what Danny's doing when he brought this up, I think what he's doing is a really cool idea. I you know, it's something that. I think is is impressive to to kind of come up with this idea that you know interviewing uh, different entrepreneurs and and uh, writers and artists and stuff. I think it's it's really innovative. I think it's kind of a cool thing, and I'm really excited to be able to to hear some of the things and some of the people that you know that you've talked to and and to get that take right because I live in my world right and I don't know. You know, I know what's going on in the architecture world, but I don't, you know, and I know what's going on, you know, in, gen, you know, some music world just because I, that's something that I, but I, I live in my world. I don't know what's going on. And, sure. you know, you, you know, in your infinite wisdom have, have turned huh. me on to some different people and, you know, and Warren Buffett, right? I knew of him, but I never really like, you know, he drinks Coke and I was like, all right, this is the dude. There I can you go. I can relate to this guy. And, and apparently he has a bajillion dollars as well. But he, he had um, commented one of the things that, that was the biggest thing that he did was reading books that were outside of the uh, type of work that he did to get a perspective of what other, you know, what was, uh, what other industries were doing, what was going on. He, yeah. You know, he said it helped him, you know, make decisions, you know, make financial decisions and decide, you know, you know, what he was going to invest in. And I think, I think something like this, you know, a lot, I think a lot of people are, oh, you know, I think hearing from entrepreneurs, hearing from, you know, the little guy, you, you, it gives you that opportunity to go, oh yeah, that's right. That's why I started doing this, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Well, there's parallels between disciplines too. You take anybody who's top, you know, top 20% in their field, um, they have more in common with the other people that are top 20 in other fields than they do with the other 80% in their own field. Sure. So, yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, Chris, where can people find you online? Learn more about PDS, Property Damage Solutions. We have a website that we are currently working on. Yes. That is www.propertydamagesolutions.net. And Danny Oaks is is putting that thing together and it's going to be awesome. I'm helping. Thanks. He's modest. Are there any questions I should have asked you that I didn't? I can't think of any. Okay. Can you think of any questions that you thought you should, were going to... Do you have any questions that you wanted to ask, but you're like, damn, that's just... Can I'm you not. tell us about Mortimer the chicken? 
I can tell you tons about Mortimer the Chicken. He was a uh, a uh, fictitious uh, character created in the uh, early 90s who uh, was a sweet, loving chicken, but uh, at any point in time, his temper would get the best of him and uh, he would inevitably uh, blow everyone away. <laughs> and, uh, you know... Uh, you know it, It's not good. No. You know, and so he just... That's who he was. That, and he, you know, he didn't regret it. <laughs> it was just who he was. Yikes! Yeah, like an animated. Uh, what's his name? The uh, the characters or the like Quentin Tarantino. Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, like if Quentin Tarantino was animated it? a, a did yeah. an animation, Mortimer the Chicken could be a with a killer soundtrack. I'm sure. Yeah, it would have to have a great soundtrack. Yeah. Nice. All right. Well, Chris, thank you so much yep, for taking you. the time and sharing your story. I look forward to seeing tons of growth and success and hopefully lots of happy family moments as well. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Thanks. All right. Find out more at artmedianorthwest.com. A-R-T-M-E-D-I-A-N-W.com. Mm-hmm.